Hi everyone, uh, my name is Oystein, uh, Oystein Wagen. I am the uh, Shipping Equity Analyst at Fernley Securities and today I'll have a short presentation walking you through uh, you know, the, the current shipping outlook and, and trends that we see in these markets. And just to kick things off, I think you know, the graph on the left hand side there um, kind of illustrates, as you can see, at least since 2009, um, 2021 and 2022 has been the uh, years where you've had the most amount of shipping segments earning above ca average cash break even levels for the year, uh, which you know, has meant that uh, in general, ship owners have been earning a lot of money uh, recently, uh, which is also has been reflected in uh, ordering uh, for, for most types of vessels, in particular container uh, and LNG ships the last couple of years. And that has also obviously dictated some, at least to some extent, uh, where these segments are in the different shipping cycles. And, you know, the supply side there is, is obviously very important. Um, and I'll get a bit more into that going uh, later as well. But in general, you know, the tanker, the dry bulk sectors are or do have very uh, supportive uh, supply sides. You know, the order book to fleet ratios are well below the 10-year the average levels. And then in LPG, for example, uh, you have a somewhat higher order book. Uh, obviously, at least if you look at the VLGCs, it's very front-loaded. Uh, so there will be a lot of deliveries in the coming months, but then after that, it's, it's not uh, that many. LNG, you have a 50% order book, roughly. However, it's important to note that in the LNG space, most of these ships are contracted. So there's not much speculative ordering in that segment. And then car carriers or PCC, um, you know, the order book has picked up quite dramatically uh, over the last couple or, or over the last year. But, you know, this is a sector that has been underinvested for at least a decade. So, so you do need a lot of ships to come in there. And then the container space, which is probably the, uh, the shipping segment at the moment with the least supportive or uh, supply side dynamics, you, you're also still seeing ordering in that segment. And you know, this picture is, call it, more important or more important now than you historically have seen in shipping because of the yard capacity that you're seeing. Um, if you look at the global shipping fleet at the moment, there is a large renewal need. The global fleet age has gone from 13, uh, in, uh, 13 years old in roughly 2005, down to around nine years, and now back to around 13 years. However, because of the large ordering spree that you've seen in container and LNG, at the same time, you've seen yard capacity go down since the 2008 uh, crisis. You know, you basically now have a forward book of 3.5 years on average. So if you want to go out now and order, let's say, for example, a Korean-built um, LNG ship, you, you basically have to wait until 2028 to get that delivered. And, you know, new building prices are high as well. Let's not forget that. So um, if you start to look at this large renewal need, um, and, and this also leaves somewhat of a backdrop to why we are generally bullish on, on most shipping segments, it is that you can see over a three-year cycle, um, you need around 10 to 13% order books uh, to maintain the current fleet. 
tankers and dry bulk, as I said, well below, uh, but, but some of these other segments above. But if you take a step back and look at how, how much tonnage is above 25 years old today, that's roughly 116 um, gross compensated tons. If you look at uh, global shipyard throughput uh, the, the last decade, that has averaged around 65 million uh, gross compensated tons. So just renewing what's already above 25 years old will take 1.8 years. So the, the, this uh, is why you know, having modern tonnage today is, is, is pretty, you know, a, a pretty good situation to be in. And you know, this is also il illustrated here, uh, as you see in the prices on the left-hand side, uh, with steel prices and scrap prices going hand-in-hand in, hand in the middle here. And then, obviously, when you have that picture and you know, yards are, are have backlogs which are at all-time high levels, they have no incentive of lowering prices. You know, there is a higher willingness to pay for ships on the water today. So uh, with that uh, kind of established um, and where we are, uh, you know, I think we're going to start to go through these different sectors, uh, which I'll talk you know, generally about uh, you know, t the commodity-related sectors as well as some of the dry cargo um, sectors. And, Starting off with tankers, which is probably one of the sectors, or, or the sector with the most um, supportive supply side at the moment. As you can see on the uh, left-hand side, you're going to have negligible, almost, fleet growth the coming years. And that cannot change. That's, a, that's an important factor because of the supply situation. So if you fast forward into 2027, you'll basically have 5% fleet growth, assuming no scrapping as well. In 2027, 8.2% of the entire fleet will be over 25 years old. So the entire order book today is not even covering renewal. And then you can fast forward into 2030, where roughly 21% of the fleet will be 25 years old. So there is you know, a lot of renewal which will take place here. And it's almost fair to say that even though if the order book, you know, the order book will go up uh, at some point, but you know, most of that will be used for fleet renewal. And then on the demand side, which you know, tankers, it's, it's important to analyze. And as you all know, it's very <laughs> volatile. At the moment, you're seeing OPEC cuts, et cetera. But the underlying trend you know, of trade dislocation and where production is now coming, even though you can start talking about peak oil demand, et cetera, you are seeing at least for the next five to 10 years, most of new production is coming west of Suez. And all, or pretty much all of demand, as you can see, according to the IEA, is coming in the east of Suez. So there's a ton-mile positive driver behind this as well, leaving you know, the supply side and the demand side overall as very bullish going forward. Then over to LNG. Um, this is uh, a market which has uh, probably looks the scariest when you just look at the order book. It's at 50% of the fleet. Uh, but as I said, um, there is roughly, the, the order book is now at the, close to 300 ships and close to 30 of those are uncontracted. So what you can see on the left-hand graph is that there is a lot of FID volumes coming this decade. However, not much is coming before 2026. And as you can see on the graph in the middle, uh, this, the, the LNGC market will basically be pretty oversupplied the coming two years. But then after that, you know, it's, it's looking pretty good. And if you go into 2028, et cetera, which, which we're not showing here, uh, th there's still room for more ships. But 
Um, so, so if you have uncontracted ships the coming two years, you know, you, there, there could be a struggle. But if you have modern tonnage, because of the limited availability of modern tonnage, uh, rates will, we, we think rates will hold up pretty well. And also here, if you look at the entire fleet, uh, there's roughly 226 steam turbine ships, which you know, in today's market where, where you have high um, commodity prices as well, you know, the boil-off is becoming pretty expensive. And then we believe that a lot of those ships will be phased out once new tonnage hits the, the water as well. So yes, there will be fleet growth, but the bigger risk in LNG, um, you know, the ships, they come on time. You know, shipyards are prioritizing LNG ships because of the margins. Uh, the risk is rather that volumes are delayed, which is the big risk always in LNG shipping. But at the moment, it's, it's looking pretty good. Then, you know, the other call it uh, last commodity segment, which I will uh, touch upon is also on the LPG side. I will focus mostly on the VLGC, so the very large gas carriers here. And what you are seeing in the market there, and as well as the long-term trends, is everything is pointing towards having pretty healthy LPG uh, trading uh, going forward. You could, you know, and it's become a weekly event if you follow the uh, EIA um, propane inventories in the US. They're rising week by week, uh, as you can see on the top, uh, on the left-hand graph here, um, which together with a structural decline in US LPG, uh, sorry, pro propane consumption has meant that there's much more propane available for export. So if you look at uh, US domestic propane consumption, in 2014, the last time you had you know, an oversupply in the VLGC market and the market eventually crashed, 66% uh, was consumed domestically. In 2022, that number was down to 35% and it's even lower this year. So a lot, more, a lot more is being exported together with more volumes. And then on the other side of the equation, you have rising propane demand from PDH capacity coming largely in China. Uh, which is also expected to continue next year. So at the moment, everything is pulling up Far East propane prices whilst pushing down US Mount Bellevue uh, propane prices. And that increases the arbitrage. And as you can see in the middle here, um, the arbitrage near perfectly predicts uh, VLGC earnings. Uh, so as long as you, know, you have those drivers going for you, the market is probably going to be pretty strong. And we expect that to continue at least the coming couple of years. The problem, uh, which was, you know, everyone was quite uh, bearish, I would say, going into 2023, is the order book. Uh, you had a 21% VLGC order book. Uh, obviously, there has been a lot of delays uh, here. So as you can see, the green bars, you know, the, the real test is still ahead of the market, right? You'll have a lot of vessels coming now until the second quarter of 24, assuming no more slippage, obviously. Um, but we do expect most of that to be absorbed uh, because also at the moment you are heading into the high season in terms of Panama congestion as well. And then post that, the order book is around 10%, similar to dry bulk, split up until 2027. So, you know, after that, you know, it, it actually has a pretty supportive supply side, leaving us also quite bullish on the VLGC segment at the moment. Then, over to call it the more dry, uh, dry cargo uh, related segments. And I'll start off with containers, uh, which is probably the segment which we are the most negative to at the moment uh, from a fundamental perspective. 
As you can see here, rates, you know, they skyrocketed during COVID. They're now, uh, they you, could, you could say they have crashed because they are down 90%. Uh, but if you look at the graph, I would more say they have normalized. They are back to pre-COVID levels. And if you look at the delivery schedule, thus far this year, you've had 1.7 million TEUs hit, uh, coming, at least last week. Uh, and there's still another almost 700,000 TEU to come. That's almost 10% uh, pre-demolition or pre-scrapping fleet growth. You'll have even more next year, and you'll have some in 25. And what you're seeing at the moment, given these cash-rich owners, you know, the, the large liners such as MSC, et cetera, they are still ordering ships, even though you have this uh, outlook, which means that the uh, coming couple of years, combined with what you're seeing on the macro side with high energy prices, interest rates, inflation, et cetera, that you're going into a long period of a, a demand deficit here in this space, leaving us quite negative on the at least 2024 and 2025. Obviously, there could be some offsetting factors of the fleet, such as slow steaming, etc. But at the moment, uh, you know, we, this is probably the segment that we like the least uh, out of the ones I'll be talking to uh, talking about today. Then. Uh, over to dry bulk, you know, if you just look at, uh, I'll, I'll focus on the Cape size ships uh, here, uh, but if you just look at the fundamental data this year, you know, you've had sub 3% fleet growth in the entire space, pretty good demand growth. China has been there as a, a strong importer of iron ore this year. You would think Cape size rates would have averaged a lot higher than they have this year. You could basically almost think they would have averaged above $20,000 per day, but that's, it's been closer to 10. The problem uh, has been, as you can see on the right-hand side, is that congestion, or call it a much more efficient fleet, has been in this space. So if you look at the average amount of Cape size waiting days in ports in China, it's gone from seven days down now to lows at two days. So, but if you take a step back here and you look at the fleet growth situation, as well as dropping iron ore inventories, you have two very fundamentally positive drivers for growth. The problem is that you need, you need something to happen on the uh, inefficiency side. But given um, waiting days are now at lows, uh, at least, uh, at least um, low levels compared to where you've previously been, the risk here is now on the upside, we believe. And if you look at basically any shipping market, um, most bullish markets have come from something which has been unexpected. And the problem, or what you need to have, is that you need to have supportive supply and demand side fundamentals, and then something unexpected can happen. That means you know, the risk is at the moment on the upside for the Cape size earnings, we believe. And then last but not least is the car carriers, uh, a segment where you know, ship owners are very happy at the moment. Uh, the you know, earnings are at all-time high levels. You have one-year time charter rates at $100,000 plus for the larger ships. Um, whilst if you take, what's happened here is obviously you had uh, quite a bit of scrapping uh, during COVID of these ships, and you had a, a, a uh, on a supply side which has already been underinvested for at least a decade, as I said in, in the earlier remarks. As well as, you know, you're seeing record Chinese uh, car exports increasing amount of ships going on 
on the water or seaborne share because of higher margins for the manufacturers. Um, and on top of that, you have the EV space uh, taking shape as well, uh, which have a higher curb weight, which means less available supply of ships at the moment. The thing which is looming over this segment at the moment is the order book, which has grown. Uh, if you were to draw a graph of the uh, car carrier order book, it would very much resemble the one I'm show, uh, showing here in, in terms of rates. It's picked up dramatically. But we are not that worried uh, in terms of the order book. Firstly, most of these ships are coming, starting to be delivered in the second half of 2024. We are already hearing a lot about slippage in this uh, space as well, as you're seeing in, across most segments, apart from LNG, really. However, as you can see on the graph on the right-hand side, the, um, by 2025, for example, you have, will have accumulated around 22% fleet growth. But if you just add, uh, or 30% by 2026, but if you just add a couple of uh, simple uh, factors in terms of increasing ton mile demand from China versus Japan and Korea, while it's minimal, it, it has some effect on the fleet growth, and then you add some scrapping, some slippage, that 30% is offset by around 20% of demand growth as well. And then on top of that, you can add slow steaming, which is, you know, for every one knot, the slower the fleet um, steams, roughly 25 new ships is ne needed to compensate for that. So we actually think that this uh, order book could easily be absorbed, uh, and we are still pretty bullish on, on the long-term uh, long fundamentals there. So uh, to wrap things up, you know, uh, as I said in the beginning, the, the shipping sector is definitely aging. There is a fleet renewal need here. Um, and we think if you are a ship owner today with modern tonnage, you should be pretty happy uh, because uh, the interest in those types of ships is pretty steadily increasing. And I think, you know, this is just a simple exercise, but it shows quite well our view at the moment because if you, if you were to buy a 10-year-old ship today, sell it uh, in 15 years, meaning, you know, when it's 25 years old, and just use our rate or earnings assumptions for 2025 and keep them flat out uh, throughout that period. You know, you can see it, it's, it's the, call it the commodity-based shipping segments uh, in general, uh, which is generating the highest IRRs in our view at the moment. So with that, um, I say thank you for your attention.